Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Previously on Debut. People who are geniuses and people who are delusional will have exactly the same thoughts about the writing. I just thought this is going to be my favourite line in this whole novel. Charlie, the writer, was really starting to emerge there. You know, I, I kind of had to focus on other things and, and sort of regretfully, I didn't feel I was going to be the right agent for Charlie at the time. Leo thought about how the remains of poor Helen Addison would soon be ensconced within an obscure little patch of Scottish clay, and how brutally the months and years would rush by for the people who had loved her. And as they speculated forevermore upon what she would have been, the lettering on the gravestone would quickly fade with lichen and weather, and the rest of the world would march on, blind to the void of her absence. Last we heard from Charlie McGarry, the agent he had spent years seeking and who he hoped would take his debut crime novel into one of the major publishing houses, had taken a new job with a big agency in London. Charlie was back at square one. This was just last year. Charlie had not only been redrafting his novel, The Ghost of Helen Addison, like a fiend over and over again, he had also plotted a second novel featuring his lead character, Leo Moran. But how can anyone spend that much time working for no money? Charlie had ejected out of a career in business analysis to pursue writing in 2003. To pay the bills, now he found a gig that both utilised his language skills and gave him plenty of time in his day to write. He became a newspaper sub-editor. Here's how that works. A journalist writes a story. The story is passed to a sub-editor to make sure it works both as a piece of writing and a piece of journalism. Sub-editing also dovetailed with Charlie's writing because it's casual, shift-based work. 
he worked out that he could pay all his bills by working just three shifts a week, which would leave three days for writing. A sub-editor shift might start around 3pm, home time around 11pm, just as the next day's newspaper goes to print. But it's probably impossible to, to quantify the, the skills you're picking up with words. The ability to rearrange a paragraph or a phrase or indeed a whole piece, deal with the kind of knock-on effects of that um, without spoiling the argument of a writer. It's probably quite invaluable, actually. I always remember that Graham Greene, before he was published, was a sub-editor, put myself in among some fairly exalted company here. <laughs> but um, he would finish his shift and then, and then write. Um, he used to do an early shift and then go and write his novels. As Charlie was clocking into newsrooms across central Scotland for another shift, he was running out of options for his novel. And his friend, and my partner in the sports publisher I work at, Martin Gregg, was running out of patience. He and I would talk about what kind of play Charlie should make, based on our experience of working in, albeit a very different sector of, a rapidly changing industry. So me and you then, we were trying to do things a little bit differently in our area of publishing. We were trying to achieve a lot with very limited resources, and we could kind of see the angles and it wasn't my memory is that it wasn't long before we started to kind of encourage Charlie to play some of those angles yeah I mean I, th- I think we founded the company on a kind of indie DIY mentality you don't have to plug into the traditional machine to make headway in the industry how would that translate into Charlie's experience if we're talking about a time when he was beginning to run out of options I think we were encouraging him quite strongly to do a series of things that would kind of almost position him as self-published plus. So he would kind of be in the self-published space, but he would be getting a professionally designed um, cover for his book. He'd have a kick-ass website. He would be, you know, a presence on social media. He would be really pushing himself hard in online crime fiction communities. All of that stuff was within his grasp, within his capabilities as well. If I had been in his position, I would have done that, no question, because I'm not sitting hoping that my manuscript gets spirited out of that slush pile. That's not my personality. But I think going down that route takes a certain level of involvement beyond which Charlie wasn't prepared to to go. The thing about Charlie is he's a writer, first and foremost. He's completely dedicated to the craft of writing. He's a purist. He doesn't want to do all these other peripheral things, you know, design, typesetting, publicity, social media. He's not really interested in all that. He wants to write. He wants to spend his days with words. So I think he really stuck to his guns, probably in the face of mild promptings from us. And maybe I was slightly frustrated at the the rate of progress or lack of it, but I think on reflection it was the right thing to do because for someone like Charlie... When traditional publishing works well, it is perfect for Charlie because all that other stuff is taken care of. He can have a little consultancy role in some of it, but he can concentrate on writing and that's what he wants to do. Yeah, I think we were offering good advice for a different person. Around this time, Martin and I had a meeting in Glasgow with a guy called Pete Burns, who heads up Arena Sport, who do the same thing as we do, make books about sport. We were working on a title together. But Arena is also part of a bigger publishing house in Edinburgh, and they had looked at Charlie's novel when it first did the rounds back in 2012, but they rejected it. Hey, everybody rejected it. At the end of this meeting, Pete happened to ask, whatever happened to that crime novel? 
In this wave of rejections, Charlie had been taking notes and rewriting a lot. The most important redraft came after one agent advised him to cut to the chase quicker. Here's Charlie to remind us about it. But what this agent had done was she'd sown a seed of doubt about the way the book was structured. She said that it needed to get into the action quicker and she was right, it did. All I had to do was start it when he was on his way up to the scene of the crime, take us up to a point of action, do the introductory stuff then, just a far cleaner and an actually more interesting way of dealing with it. So yeah, I did it to get the book sold, but I suppose I also did it just to make it better, and it did make it better. So this was the update we gave to Pete as we left that meeting. There's been a lot of work done, it's much better now, maybe you should have another look. Here's Pete. Well, you said nothing happened, and then you said that you'd, you'd given this feedback, and you said it is a million times better. And you said it's night and day different. So I was like, okay... That's, if no one else picked it up, brilliant, let's have another look at it. You know, I know he can write, and the premise is great. You know, it's, it's ticking a lot of boxes. If it is as different now, if that has had the seismic change, let's really have a look at it again. And no promises. You know, I think I've even said to you, don't tell him that you're sending it to us again, because you don't want to get his hopes up again. But we'll have a speculative look at it and see what, see what we think. And, it's funny when you sometimes you get these projects and you just you can just see it actually just bang start to finish it it works and brilliant character uh, great setup good plot good plotting good pace to the whole thing Pete went back to Edinburgh Martin sent him the latest draft of the ghost of Helen Addison and he told Charlie nothing whatsoever about it Pete passed it on to Alison Ray, an editor at Polygon, the imprint behind the commercial juggernaut that is the number one ladies' detective agency by Alexander McCall Smith. Alison's opinion, more than any other in this story, would be critical to the book's success or failure. And Pete Burns um, had mentioned this a long, long time ago, but I'd never seen the script. And then Julie, he sent me it on and it had... Uh, the Killing of Helen Addison, underscore 19. I thought, oh, <laughs> version 19, good one. <laughs> but I, I really did fall in love with it straight away, absolutely straight away. And then we hold an editorial meeting once a month, the last Wednesday of every month, and representatives from sales, publicity and editorial are there. So the usual editor's job of falling in love with something and having to persuade the mighty force of sales who are looking at things from a completely different angle and, of course, haven't read the script. But that went really well. I just get get overexcited at the editorial meetings and I, I just genuinely... I love this character. He's like no other detective character I can really think of. He's such a million miles away from the... Divorcee alcoholic with an empty fridge. I remember us laughing about that. I can't stand, you know, detectives that have empty fridges. And I thought, he's just so far out there. He's a gourmet. Um, I'm a big foodie. I like my wine and stuff. So I just ramble on like that. And then they give in. Polygon agreed on making an offer for the ghost of Helen Addison. It was finally time to let Charlie know about everything that had been happening behind the scenes. But when I actually got the emails saying that um, this meeting was set up it was a complete surprise because I didn't realise there was an application with Berlin. So it was the kind of best of surprises because you thought that all your um, applications had been rejected and here was one you didn't even know about. 
So I remember I got the email when I was sitting in the office at work and I had to kind of restrain myself from punching the air. Um, <laughs> not that that was a, a book deal, but obviously it was really promising that they wanted me to come through and talk to them. Present at the next meeting were Alison, who had become Charlie's editor, Neville Moyer, a senior executive at Polygon, and Charlie. Meetings like this would usually involve an agent. If money was being discussed, sometimes the author wouldn't even be in the room. As we found out in episode one, Charlie was on his own. Before the meeting, he did a little research into what he could expect from a contract should Polygon offer him one. He found out exactly how modest an advance a first-time author should expect, but he was unsure how his prospective publisher would feel about the prospect of more books featuring the same character. Nowadays, I'm told, quite often, detective fiction is um, recruited by series rather by books. So in other words, mm-hmm. I thought there was a chance I'd have gone to that meeting. They might even have said, we want three books. And believe it or not, I was actually kind of dreading that. And I'll tell you why. I have got an idea for a third book, and I've had the idea for years, but very little meat has kind of gone onto the bones in terms of ideas for it. So I thought the likelihood was I would come away with either a one-book deal or a three-book deal. Actually, as it happens, the best thing happened, which was to have two books, because I was very confident I could deliver the second book. If these books were to do all right, and I was to ever get a, a third-book deal, hopefully I could do that within a time scale that was realistic and deliverable. With crime, you you do want a series. Right. You know, we have Denzel Myrick on our list, who's now on about to do sixth, I think. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's hard just to launch a new character. And this is a very... He's an interesting character, tricky character in, in many ways. I think people will love... Certain people will fall in love with him. Um, but I think the two-book two deal is a good idea because it gives us a little bit of... Let's see how... Yeah. Let's see how he goes. Let's see how... Without overcommitting over yeah. and putting pressure on you with a three or four book deal. Personally, I would hate a four, four book deal. It's like sort of 80s albums deals, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I think on our side, I was happy as well. Two book deal's nice. Let's see how we go and we'll do the best we can with the cover. Got, got the, the edit nailed and hopefully publicity and sales can just do their work. Quite late in the process of making this podcast, I spent a day with Charlie recording conversations between him and two of the UK's most popular crime writers, Chris Brookmeyer and Val McDermott. After we met Chris and before we met Val, Charlie and I had a pint and a chat round the corner from the National Library in Edinburgh. I wish I'd recorded it. The interview with Chris Brookmeyer, you can hear that in a later episode, had got Charlie thinking about the various costs of writing. Hearing Charlie talk, I was aware for the first time of the degree to which these stories occupied him during the writing process. He said they pretty much sidelined all of his personal relationships, that he really couldn't get away from the books until he'd finished writing them. It didn't sound altogether healthy. Then there's the financial cost. Charlie gave up a secure, if uninspiring, career in business management to pursue his ambitions as a writer. He wasn't earning nearly as much as he had before he made that decision. And the advance he got for his two-book deal with Polygon didn't make that much of a difference. At the age of 44, the income he was left with isn't nothing, but it's a lot less than he could have made if he'd stuck to the rail he was on before. And the equation he was trying to solve was this. Is it all worth it? 
To continue to dedicate so much of himself to writing, Charlie concluded that it would have to pay its way to some degree. He has a lot at stake, is the thing. So exactly who is he betting on? Next time on Debut, Charlie's lead character. It's time to meet Leo... Gr- Wait, Leo Moran, right? I don't even know why I did this. I just typed James Salas' name into Wikipedia and happened to notice that he has got a series of crime fiction called the Lou Griffin series. Lou Griffin, L-E-W. And my guy, my hero is called Leo Griffin, L-E-O. So it was one letter out. I just couldn't believe it. Debut is produced by me, Neil White. I'm on Twitter at Debut Podcast if you want to talk about the podcast or anything else. We blog about the podcast and share images and other things at debutpodcast.com. Extracts from The Ghost of Helen Addison are read by Bill Wright. Music by Charlie's brother, Michael McGarry. The Ghost of Helen Addison is published by Polygon on July the 6th, 2017. Finally, thanks to Charlie McGarry for letting us in on this whole deal. He's on Twitter at Charles E. McGarry. He's got a great site with loads of background stuff on the novel, charlesemcgarry.com. And if you're a newspaper editor looking for a crack sub, he's still available for shifts in the Glasgow area. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.